All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Biscuit man, just heard deceased with Demon Preacher doing a cover of Death Wish, and that comes from deceased's new record, Thrash Times at Ridgemont High, where they do a bunch of covers. And I love from, that, yeah. So, a uh, very cool, uh, nostalgia throwback with that there, and uh, doing a lot of great covers on that album. So, check it out. I mm-hmm. uh, got some. Interesting topics, a little bit of sports, a little bit of bugs, a little bit of movie stuff. Bugs. And then more movie stuff towards the end. A lot of new music coming your way. I got a lot of new music next week as well. New Frontalith, um, Omnium Gatherum. Uh, let's see what else. Born Home, Dark Woods, My Betroth. They got some new shit. Sarke. Uh, what else we got in here? New Reaper and Vindicator. Death Chant, Impending Doom, and New Unleashed. As well, stuff from some of the uh, labels and promotional sites from Zenocorp, Grand Sounds, Quabar, Hard Life, Six String PR, One Eye Toad Records, Scarlet Records, Vlad, sending us more shit. Vlad. Rock Block has some good classics in it, new stuff. Neko's Pick of the Week, and uh, much, much more. And we're going to kick it off with some information from Neko, a little quick story bit. <laughs> Neko's, Neko's tip of the week, I don't know what to call it. It's not uh, tip of the week, just... Neko's little tidbit of the week. Yeah. So, 
I don't know if anybody else heard this, but apparently there have been some breaking news <laughs> in the search for Jimmy Hoffa's body. Where's my little sound? Breaking news. So, in 1975, Jimmy Hoffa disappeared. Yeah, that's everybody knows that. He and sleeps with the fishes. We have been... Um, you know, there's been so many theories, like, he's in the concrete in the Brooklyn Bridge, he's in, like, the stadium, but what I, uh, what really has been interesting is the FBI got a really legitimate tip from someone, um, that said that their father found Jimmy Hoppe's body in their, um, I guess, like, junkyard? I don't know what the like junkyard and they put him in a barrel and buried him so he was younger so um this was probably hold on 1975 yeah and um the FBI has searched so many different places to locate his body but they've always come up empty-handed now the thing is like that's all we know is that the FBI has searched they haven't said anything else, which is what I, and they did this last month. This wasn't like yesterday. The news broke yesterday, but that's it. So I'm like almost feeling like they've got some credible information that they're not sharing at this time because everything else has always kind of led to this wild goose chase, but they actually got someone who led them somewhere and had a real credible story and now it's like that's all we know and this happened a month ago mm -hmm. so for them to only release the information that there was a search means maybe they found something but because this is still an open investigation even though it happened in 75 right so i'm really really like totally interested like i i don't last I, time i remember shit like this was in early 80s when i thought they found some place that hoffa was supposedly buried i think uh ronaldo rivera was actually doing his special i think <laughs> it was a real big deal so now like i just whenever this shit comes up i'm always skeptical i'm like yeah you know i don't know it's you know it, well this was a deathbed Confession. Confession. Right. That he knew that his father did this, but he had kept it quiet. And then now they're it's it's a it's a New Jersey landfill, basically. So now they're all gonna start digging for his body. So apparently it's it's kind of like under. I'm looking at the picture right now. It's kind of like under the bridge in right. Jersey City. So that's all they know is he said while I was talking to my dad, a black limousine drove into our lot in the mud. He, he, and this is a sworn written statement before a notary pub public. His father turned to a particular partner at the landfill and said, they're here. The boy watched from a distance as the men approached the vehicle where they spoke to the visitors and seemed to point a remote corner of the landfill. He would later learn what was being planned. By that summer, Jimmy Hoffa, who once commanded the powerful Teamsters Union, had fallen from his heights of powers. He served his sentence in prison after being convicted of jury tampering. So, on July 30th, 
he um, went to address this very situation. He was having a sit-down with the mobster at a popular restaurant, and then after that, he disappeared. At the landfill, he, the, he was a boy at the time, he saw his dad and these mob bosses that in the corner of the landfill, it was owned by a man named Phil Moscato, and it was commonly, commonly referred to as Brother Moscato's Dump. So, not only maybe is there Jimmy Hoppa there, there may be other people there. Great. So now they got like a fucking graveyard of people. Mm-hmm. Now, the guy who owned it, he died in, eight, that part of the landfill died in 88. So, it, this is just so much. I mean, I, I'm i just going to keep an eye on this. And I, I if any of you are like really into mobsters and gang member, like. She's Italian. That's the reason why. Yeah, a little. Well, let's see, Jimmy Hoppa was Irish. So, that's like, what year was it that that movie came out, The Irishman? That was based on him. Oh, a couple and, years ago. Yeah. So, I just find it fascinating that this happened a month ago. They just reported it yesterday, and they're not giving us any more information than they showed up. Yeah. Yep, yep. So, stay tuned, because I'm going to follow this story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nerd, sorry. All right. Kicking off our first blog, we got some Frontalith in there, brand new stuff from them. I talked about Rutten Scully from Zenocorp. Kicking it off, though, a band out of Brazil, some lovely ladies from a band called either Sanaya or Sanaya, so I'm not sure how you pronounce that correct, but the song's called Afterlife. It features vocals, guest vocals by um, CJ McMahon from Thy Art is Murder, so here it is with Afterlife, brand new single, Sanaya.
here from Bang X and you're listening to Bell Tavern Radio. from time to time on this show and podcast and whatnot, we talk a little bit of sports here and there. We probably should have got Poet on today. I wasn't really thinking about it because what more do we want to do to pile on the Broncos than we already have? But So, Neko and I are different Bronco fans. And uh, obviously in 2015 we were celebrating our, our Super Bowl win, but since then it's been kind of like a, a constant downhill <laughs> in terms of coaching, in terms of quarterback play. Uh, we just recently, within a couple, two to three weeks, we traded away Vaughn Miller, who was our franchise guy. Uh, which, you know, in some ways I kind of understood. Vaughn probably would have left after this year anyway, uh, seeing how great we are right now anyway. But something happened in the last game. Uh, is this the bye week or are we already past the bye? I think this is our bye week. I'll double check. Yeah, I think... Um, Anywho, we uh, we had, we had just beaten the Redskins barely. Like the last couple of minutes got interesting. Uh, we went in to play the Cowboys. The Cowboys, who are actually like one of the better teams in the NFL right now, uh, we ended up going into Dallas and smacking them around. Now, granted, there's some caveats to that because Dallas just wasn't playing very good, but we took advantage of yeah, all that. Yeah, this is the bye week. Okay, so we are on a bye week. That means we got the Chargers next week. Mm-hmm. So we go after the Cowboys and we're playing the Eagles, who are struggling a little bit. And we're at home. We're at home. Did I say we're at home? Mm-hmm. I meant we're at home. And uh, you know, again, our, our QB position is very up and down. We've got Teddy Bridgewater, who's a very journeyman type quarterback. We have Drew Locke, who's a third year, but you know, he's been struggling to kind of take hold of the reins so he didn't beat Teddy in the competition that they called it in the offseason nevertheless Teddy's been up and down our team's been up and down we're five and five so you could say to yourself well we still have a chance technically yes we do uh we still could make the playoffs if we uh, win a bunch of games at least if we win like four to five more games we probably could well, I mean, this is a big what if because now we, we have the Chargers. The Chiefs are not playing that great, though. No, they're not. So we got the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Lions. So I feel like, you know, we should have beat the Eagles, but we should beat the Lions, but we're going to lose anyway, you know. <laughs> it's just, it's destined to happen. So we have Chargers, Chiefs, Lions, Bengals, Raiders, Chargers, Chiefs. It's like the whole second half is loaded up. With- yeah, this is our heaviest part of our, our schedule. Uh, as Neko pointed out, Detroit hasn't won a game yet, and it's getting closer and closer to the point that we might be their actually first win if we don't like win that game. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm like at the point now, like I just want to win that game. I don't care if we lose every other fucking game. I just want to beat them because I don't want to be the team that lost to fucking Detroit. Uh-huh. However. 
Noobs is on boycott with the Broncos right now. Whoa. And it's because of what happened against the Eagles, and I'm going to explain it to you because if you're not a sports fan, you don't care. But for people that are into football and sports in general, there's a thing. And I used to play as a teen, so it actually means more to me, a little bit more about what happened than for other people. And it's 20 to 13 Eagles in the fourth quarter with probably about nine minutes left. Denver is driving. We're down probably around the 40 or 30. I'm going to say we're probably around the 30 of the Eagles. So we're we're driving. It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to make a touchdown to tie it up at that point, but we're driving. We're in field goal range at least. We're fourth and one. Fangio, our coach, decides to go for it. Fine. That's fine. You know, we could probably run. We were running pretty decently between Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. problem for Gordon is he has a history of turning the ball over. Uh, but he gets the call. He's our primary back, according to Fangio. So despite rookie Javante Williams having a better day, he decides to go with Gordon for experience. So Gordon fumbles. Uh, Darius Slade, defender for the Eagles, picks it up. And aside from a couple of missed tackles from the Broncos trying to get him down, he starts his way back up the other direction to go for a touchdown. Here's where it gets really interesting. He starts to pass quarterback Teddy Bridgewater, who only slightly moves in. He doesn't do a whole lot to try to stop him. He's like, eh. Yeah. He, yeah. Now, here's the debate with all this, is that people who are arguing on behalf of Teddy are saying he's making a business decision. He's not trying to get hurt. He's the starter. He made the right move, blah, blah, blah. But then... There's the rest of us, and a lot of football players included, who say he bitched out big time. Um, what do you feel? There, Well, there were people that, made it, when I first happened, they were saying, oh, well, Peyton Manning went down. I went and looked. Peyton Manning actually attempted. He didn't succeed in tackling the guys. He attempted to jump at these guys. I remember that, because Peyton was not, like, a runner. No. But he, he was... No quarterback really makes that play. And no one's saying that Teddy needed to, like, body slam this player. Mm -hmm. But he didn't even... He just... If he would have just ran in front of him, that would have slowed Slay mm -hmm. down to the point that a couple of guys who were trailing him could have got him. But he didn't even do that. He didn't get in his way. He didn't do shit. Do you remember when our kicker was, like... The one who ended up tackling yeah. somebody, and oh, yeah. he was I've all seen, the way at the I've end of the... I've seen kickers make better tackles than Teddy even attempted. He was all the way at the other end of the field, and everybody kept missing, and he yeah. got caught up to him I and think got that him. was... Uh... Prater. I think it was Prater. Oh, it was Prater? Yeah, I think it was Prater. Prater's built like a bitch. Yeah, that's where he's, he was. He's a pretty big dude. Um, I think Elon might have done it back in the mm -hmm. day, too, though, but... Yeah, so I, I played both quarterback and free safety and linebacker when we were doing the whole Ironman football thing. Now, I'm not trying to gloat myself because I'm not as talented as a lot of these players to play in the NFL, obviously. But I know what it is to be a team player and what it is to want to try to win. Like, if the score had been 44 to nothing and that happened, I would give Bridgewater less shit about it. Like, it's like, okay, we're already getting our ass whooped. What difference does it make? But we were in the game at that point. We had a chance to try to get back in that game. And even if Eagles still had the ball, at least the defense would have an opportunity to stop them to try to get the ball back. But you gave up a touchdown, put us two scores behind. By then, it was just too late. There wasn't enough time to do anything. So 
a lot of uh, pundits, commentators, former players, current players, they all just bitch slapped Bridgewater about this decision. So a couple days, well, I'd say about a day later, Bridgewater's on a little telecommunic call or whatever, and he's apologizing for not doing more, and Fangio, you know, said he didn't see the play. And I'm like, how do you fucking miss that play, dude? It's watching right in front of you, dude. What are you doing? So my point in all this was Bridgewater at the very least should have been benched for one game. You have to send a message that everybody has to be a team player. You have to want to win. You can't just let shit like that go because it sends a wrong message. Granted, DT, uh, defensive lineman, Shelby Harris came out recently and said that he supported uh, Bridgewater and everything. But fuck Shelby, it's not right. And this is, the, this is the sort of mentality the Broncos have right now where they don't give a fuck. Fans care more about this game than those guys do. And they, they might say they were differently and they might care about it. I don't believe it because your actions speak louder than words. And right now, I don't see this team, especially Teddy, giving a fuck about winning ballgames. They just don't show it. Some players do, some don't. But if Harris is going to come out and say that he's okay with that, there's something wrong. And it's not about just showing support for a teammate. It's about calling it out when you see it because it's bullshit. Now, maybe they do this in privately. Who knows? Yeah, I don't think they want to air out their, their dirty laundry on they may not. TV or whatever. And they may not, and that's fine. But for me, uh, even at 5-5, five and five, mm-hmm. I'm refusing to watch any Bronco games until Bridgewater is, is sat down. And Fangio's come out and said that Bridgewater's our quarterback, which is his right to do that. He's the coach. Uh, but I will not watch this team the rest of the year until he's out of the seat because I take that very personally. Wow. Yeah. So I'll watch other football. Go Titans. But, you know, I'm oh, not... Oh, so you're, gonna, you're going on the Chad Dukes. Uh... Yeah, I'm going to hop on these Hezilla bandwagons because, you know, look, Neck and I can enjoy football in general. We're watching some college football in the background. So we, uh, we're we fine with sp- the sport as a total thing. Like, we love the sport. Uh, we do love the Broncos still, but, you know, it's at this point now where, like, for me, I have to make a decision whether or not I want to endorse this, and I don't really endorse it. So it's unfair to the rest of the Broncos on the team if, if I don't watch, even though it's just me. There's mm-hmm. probably very few that will do this. I know there are some Bronco fans that will continue to watch this. Uh, but I'm not one of them. I, I take this particular type of issue very seriously as a former quarterback. And even if Bridgewater had jumped in front of Slay and gotten hurt, I would have respected him ten times more for that than what he did. So that's my point on that. You got any final thoughts with that? Wow. <laughs> She's like, wow. I don't know. Like, I was surprised by it, but I've seen a lot of terrible things like that happen not necessarily on our team but you know I feel like maybe you remember Teddy Bridgewater had some serious serious injuries he hurt himself when he was with the Vikings a few years ago in practice and snapped his leg like Mm -hmm. they almost had to amputate it so he Rehabbed himself, got back in the NFL, you know, back to mm-hmm. the NFL. He's been kind of, and he's played sporadically decent throughout even the Broncos year, this year, and 
while he was in Carolina and Minnesota. I mean, he got when he was when he was younger in Minnesota, he got to the playoffs. Um, but to me, he's always been that middle of the pack type quarterback, which is where he's at now, anyway. But I don't. My only point with this is, if you even if you've had a prior injury, if you're too scared to play the game, get out, quit, do something else, because this game is physical. It does require you have to make plays. Sometimes it's plays that you don't always want to make. Nobody wants to try to tackle a guy. Slay was a DB. He wasn't even like the biggest guy. He's actually smaller than Teddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't like Teddy was expected to tackle like a, a defensive lineman, like Sarah Goose or some shit, you know, from trying. Oh God, yeah. So it, this wasn't like a Goliath versus David type thing. This is just you know. Even if you're just running in front of Slay to slow him his ass down, he probably gets caught by one of the other guys chasing him. And that's really what it comes down to. He just made no attempt at it. So, you know, even if he had gotten hurt, again, my respect factor goes up a lot more for that. And what Neko will remember is way back when Brian Greasy was still our quarterback, he got hurt on a similar type play. He hurt his shoulder. Came back in a game play, but he then he like couldn't play for a while because he fucked up his shoulder. But Brian Greasy's my favorite. As average as Brian was, he has a lot of respect for doing that. He 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 put his ass on the line to try to help the team. He's not average. He's average. He was never a great quarterback. I'm the I'm the uh, president of the Brian Greasy fan club. Yeah, sure you are. I am. I even have his rookie card. The rookie card I gave you. Because mm-hmm. you were like, fuck Brian Greasy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I I understand your frustration, but this isn't just a Teddy Bridgewater problem. This is mm-hmm. an entire team problem. No, it's true. The, there's, the coaching is bad on this team. Uh, the focus and discipline to be consistent week to week is a problem. Uh, even in a game is a problem. We, we talk about the Redskin game. Uh, we're living, winning 17 to 10. We just intercepted a pass with two under two minutes. And then the guy intercepts it. Instead of trying to get as far up the field as he can, Simmons, who's now the face of the Broncos, runs out of bounds around the 25-yard line of our end. So now it means... Redskins have three timeouts. We have to try to get another first down, which we're very bad at. Mm-hmm. The first two carries, we fumble the ball. We get it. We get it back, but we fumble the fucking ball between both our backs. Then finally, we instead of like running for a third time and punting to to make the Redskins use their third timeout. We throw the pass, or have Teddy throw a pass that goes incomplete, so it stops the clock. Mm-hmm. So now we got to punt back to the Redskins with like well over a minute twenty or whatever is there, and you know, luckily defense still held them without getting the touchdown. But it just shows you the frustration and what pisses me off about this team is like even the coaching is just so bad; it needs to go. And, you know, I don't know. We're a 5-5 five and five team. I'm not convinced that if Drew Locke came in, that would be any worse than we are now. I just, I'm not convinced of that. And that was a guy who was 
supporting Teddy when he got when he won the starting job. Like I had no problem with it. People were very angry about it. I was not because I see him both kind of the same type of play. I don't think Drew's ever gonna get beyond that. He might, he might not. But either way, uh, at this stage, if you got a guy who's not really willing to take the dive. <laughs> for the team then let's get the kid in there who's got a little bit fresher legs and let's see what he can do if he can reignite some motivation in this team because it would be nice to get to the playoffs at least we have an opportunity to do that it's as you said Chiefs aren't that great this year they they actually looked their best last week against the Raiders that was the best they've looked all year in terms of offense but uh, the Raiders have been kind of taking a dive because after the loss of their coach and everything, so they're not necessarily where they need to be. Chargers are probably the best team in our division, but they have faults because they've lost to teams they probably shouldn't mm-hmm. have to. Uh, so, yeah, you know, Denver has some issues, and until the quarterback situation is kind of resolved on my end, I'm done with that part of it. I'll, I'll keep track of what they're doing in terms of wins and losses and keep, you know, reading the forum and everything, but... As far as like sitting there and watching them, I just I can't find myself doing that. Just it's not something I want to do at this point. So anyway. Anyway. Enough about that. Uh, next music block has some taglio from Grand Sounds, Dead Space Chamber music from Kubar PR. But here's some brand new Omnium Gatherum with Fortitude.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Again, <laughs> so earlier this week, you uh, were telling me about a story from Egypt. Yes, it was just so crazy because I was, um, you know how I am. I just like read the news all the time because I'm old now. But scorpions literally were swept into Egyptian homes by a flood, stinging more than 500 people. It was a... Um, a rare storm in Aswan, it forced them out of their underground burrows in search of dry land. Yeah, because I hear, like, like normally it's not an issue for Egyptians because the cities are kind of away from where all the desert land is, where all these scorpions usually stay. But when the water started coming, it was forcing them all towards the cities. And yeah, it was, they, they, was, they live in underground burrows, and... Because the flood happened so suddenly, um, the the I mean, not just from the scorpions, but like the people, their houses were being damaged by the storm. There was lots of um, heavy rainfall and hail. Trees were falling over. Roads were destroyed. The electricity was. I mean, it was insane. And it was just in one night. There was about, um, I guess. 500 people who uh -huh. were stung by I mean they're not very big they're only about four inches long yeah, um, well, a lot of times they say the smaller the scorpion the more potent they are so like that makes a lot of sense but three of the people apparently in the 500 died mm -hmm. from the stings and it's they have a large reserve of anti-venom um, according to Egypt, Egypt's uh, health department and they said they've got like 3,000 doses available um, in Aswan alone but it's insane because there's Egypt has over a dozen scorpion uh, species right? and they thrive in desert dwellings underground they can survive for weeks with no food or water they're you know but the Aswan area barely gets any rain. They get maybe one millimeter of rainfall per year. So the heavy thunderstorm and hail that happened the other day is um, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Like, you know, if you your infrastructure is not built to handle that kind of... I mean, we get, we get floods all the time because we're right on the water and you know, rising sea level. You see in some of the... Um, well, you think in terms of, like, Katrina, like, they don't get those kind of storms that often, but when they happen, they're, mm -hmm. like, pretty bad. Well, so just think about, like, when we get a lot of flooding around us and people are um, stupid enough to drive into standing water, but it's always the same roads that flood out by us. Um, we're used to it, yet people are still stupid enough to 
drive through and you in Egypt when you get one millimeter of rain every year you're kind of like I don't know if I uh, can handle this or not so it was literally an hour of rain but it created so much havoc um, the fat-tailed scorpions are thought to be the deadliest scorpions and those were the ones of um, particular concern they have poor vision smelling and hearing and um, they they said one local species wields a highly toxic venom capable of killing an adult um, one one guy said we're just used to it. We'll hit them with something when we see them. Me, I'd probably freak out because I've never seen a scorpion, you know, it's just not around here. But they they say that within an hour being stung, these fat tail scorpions can kill someone. That's why they have so much anti-venom. You know, when somebody gets stung, they, they go immediately to the doctor. Um, hundreds of stings in a single night is unprecedented. So, um... They're saying climate change, the unusually high rainfall, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't think climate change is really going to do it. I mean, we, over the centuries and on this planet, mm -hmm. we've had various storms and like really what they say is like biblical type storms and people always think that's the end of the world when it happened but it's not like it's just they got a really bad uh, storm with water and hail and stuff mm -hmm. something they don't normally get it, you know when you start saying that it's climate you're saying that this is something that's going to happen on the regular it's not happening on the regular it happened one time and uh, it just happened to you know force all these critters out of their homes and into areas where there's population of people. I mean, that's not so. If it happens every day for the next 20 years, then yeah, climate change. Okay, I get it. But that's not really the case here. This is just really bad storm, and it fucked with shit. Is that your? That's uh, my hot take. That's your hot take. Yeah. <laughs> I know you enjoy uh, stories about, uh, you know, spiders and scorpions, especially since we have our two spiders. We did have a Patches sighting today. She's been kind of like digging and hiding. Um, yeah, I think she. I think we've determined she's still in the process or in pre-molt or whatever. She's been kind of just moving around, but I can see there's a little bit of molt on her or whatever. So she's looking good, though. She's healthy. She's moving around. She's alive. Gave her some more water. Freya's doing well. She ate yesterday, so... She's got a nice big belly, man. She is loving life. Yeah. Freya is so adorable and fuzzy. I just want to hold her so bad. And I, I know it's not a good idea because, you know, they're very fragile. Um, but the one day it was kind of funny. Um, she was kind of crawling on the ceiling of her enclosure and she did the whole Spider-Man drop thing. She's like, well, I'm like, whoo. But I, I love her. I didn't think I'd love a spider, but I love her. Well, she's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I like when she like sucks on her little, like she's cleaning her, her little feets. Mm -hmm. Both of the spiders are very calm. Like this morning when you were um, kind of giving Patches some water, 
in the little teeny tiny terrarium. <laughs> she was kind of like, you know, you you open it up and she just kind of went over a little bit because she's like, whoa, what's going on? I feel vibrations. Same thing with Freya. Like, you open the front of her enclosure and she's just like, hmm. But I think she's in her spot and that's her give me food spot. You know what I mean? Well, she's I learned that she's, that's where the door is and the Yeah, food she's comes. in different spots all the time. Um but yeah, she uh she starts to learn like where she gets fed and stuff like that, but you know, she has the back part of it where it's webbed up a little bit. That's kinda like her little hideaway. I think you I think you're right, that's like her little home area. And she really digs the uh you, you put that piece of bark back there for her, and I see her climbing up the back wall. And yeah, she likes a little more. It gives her something to kind of come up and down with. And so her habitats, uh, like I said, um, on Facebook, you know, I added some isopods to her enclosure yesterday or the day before. And, oh, no, it was yesterday. I guess Friday they came. But those help keep her enclosure clean from, like, parasites and mites and stuff and they'll eat the poop that she drops on the ground even though she likes to poop all over the glass that's so funny yeah so i mean but she's a great spider she just you know she'll roam around at night like right now she's probably more in sleeping mode uh just sitting there which is funny about this particular type of spider uh all pink toes are like this they're, they're more like tree spiders so she will literally hang there and sleep on the glass and like other spiders that generally like patches when she finally gets to you know about that size she'll be uh, more of a, a ground dwelling spider so she'll be in her little hideaway on the ground yeah patches kind of you put her piece of bark kind of like it's like a little cave for her and then she'll come out and crawl on top of it and then she goes back in and right and she's actually moved around where like before she would going through the big part of it and that's where she barricades up but now she's on the side of it by the container and she's webbed it up and that's where she's been kind of like chilling uh, on the side where she's been staying there and then she still sometimes runs over to where the little pieces on the top and runs in there when she's scared but you know she's probably in the process of getting settled in and everything so she's good to go I'm really happy. I, I, I was worried about patches, and she's so tiny that I don't, you know, we've never, I we've never raised. The first, day. <laughs> the first day I lost her, I was like, where the fuck did she go? She went in the dirt. She's in the dirt. She's and hidden. she knew how to hide. I could not find her. I was like, what the fuck? And finally, I just left the container alone for a few minutes, and sure enough, she came out. She was wandering around. I was like, thank God. <laughs> Because I had no idea where she went. Uh, I think ultimately, see, she was really kind of too big for even the little container they sent her in. So the thing I have her in now is actually kind of perfect. Because once she starts to get a little bigger, I've got a, another one-gallon enclosure coming that she'll eventually be in. And it's uh, he's going to do another like bioactive. Uh, yeah. But I have to still kind of wait to see how far along she's going to be as far as size. So I would assume probably in six months i'm hoping she'll be a little bit larger and she'll be able to go into this other enclosure once i've got it all set up and everything and then she'll be fine from then on out in terms of living in that space all right well let's get back into some more music mm -hmm. 
Uh, and this one we got some black metal coming our way. Sarke, new stuff from them. Dark Woods, My Betroth, and new stuff from Bornhall. And this is Spiritual Warfare.
demons Infest the Sunday The electric flame Fueling the insanity What's up everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. So, like, I had a cricket that passed away as far as Freya's food. So, and I'm just watching these guys. They are literally going to town on the cricket. Like, it is crazy. Don't bring it near me. I'm going to dump it all over and she's going to freak the fuck out and run. No, I won't freak out. I will throw up. (laughs) All right. Well, we're getting ready to jump into our rock block. Uh, We've got stuff by Icon. The Bad Somethings, provided by Six Dream PR. Rebels In, provided by Hard Life. Classic 38 Special. And we're going to kick it off with some band called Excess Foreign Lands. And we'll be back. <laughs>
looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you would find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you
Neko's pick of the week. It's time for my pick of the week. So, it's no, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it's no secret that I am a huge, uh, Sticks fan. Not as big as me. Apparently. <laughs> what? We have this ongoing debate and battle about Come Sail Away, and she's like always like, oh, it's a terrible song. It's the only song by Six I never really gravitated toward, but then he gets, he doesn't understand, and then... No, she doesn't understand. And then the song comes on, and I like know all the... Like, he's like, how do you hate this song if you know... I think I just burned myself out on it years ago, and... Possibly. You know, like, I don't know if you've ever done that with a song where you're just, like, totally... And then the whole, uh, South Park thing, and, you know, just... Cartman. Yeah. So, for me, I picked this week's song because I, uh, I have a Jeep Renegade. <laughs> That's why I chose the song. And I, I was jo joking because I have only had it since what? Um, only a few months. Yeah, May maybe. And I told him, I said, I want a really tiny sticks, and we haven't got found one yet because the windows on the Renegade are small. But I want a really tiny sticks um, sticker, but I want it so that it fits on the small triangle side window because that's where the Renegade emblem is and I want it to be like sticks like just tiny and I don't know if anybody would get it well people our age would get it but there's also another song out that's I guess it's like a rap song I don't know this is me being old I don't know it's a rap song and I was saying something to my girlfriend and her daughter who is um 20 was like all I can think of is the other renegade song so I don't know but the rap song yeah I guess it's a rap song but What's really interesting that I found out about this song was this is a big Pittsburgh Steelers song. Like, they always play it in the second half when the team is uh, on defense and they have, like, a big video that they play to pump up the crowd. And, um, like, the, the fans get all wild. And apparently... Um, They, uh, during the playoff game, b the, before the year that they won the, um, Super Bowl recently, mm -hmm. I guess they were playing the Browns, and, the, like, they were playing this over and over again. This is such a big deal in Pittsburgh that Styx actually, um, collaborated with Voodoo Brewing Company oh, really? in Pittsburgh to come out with Oh Mama Beer. And it says Oh Mama and it has Renegade on the skull. Look at this look at this uh I wish I could describe this because it's so wild, but like it says Oh Mama at the top and then it's a skull and crossbones and it says Renegade on the like forehead of the skull and sticks at the bottom. Huh. And um so if you live in Pittsburgh, you can purchase like the I think it's a four pack, or you can get like kegs of it if you're if you're a bar right and um they'll deliver but they won't deliver to maryland so of course not but yeah it's 
it's can be purchased on tap at select bars and pubs and it was a big deal because they actually um they collaborated with tommy shaw he said we think you're gonna love it as much as we do cheers and um sticks actually recognizes that they're a big deal for the Steelers. Like they're like we we have with our tradition in the song Renegade and the Steelers, we are happy to announce this collaboration with a so this was last year and um hold on, let me see when this was released. Uh, oh, it was this year, I'm sorry. In August. So maybe if we make it up to Pittsburgh we can get some. Um apparently though uh, hold on. Come on, you stupid computer. Steelers and Sticks, Renegade tradition has become a gift that keeps on giving to both the band and the team. Um, he, Tommy Shaw actually visited in 2008, went to Pittsburgh, and he was like just in shock when he saw how excited the fan base was just like singing along and he's like so it was a big deal and that's that's kind of like um how he said it was his holy shit moment uh tommy shell did it but he's like it blew my mind that they haven't tired of it like since you know the early 2000s that 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 came kind of like how stupid uh ravens i'm sorry but I hate that they run out to Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. I'm not a huge U2 fan at all, but... That's why. <laughs> well, but it's just the stupidest, like, entrance song for a football team. Like, right? No? Well, I, I don't care for the Ravens. I just don't care about whatever music they run out to. But yeah. I'm just saying, when you want to run out to something like... I mean, you expect something a little more pumped up. Yeah, like Thunderstruck. Yeah. That would be like the best entrance music for a football team. Not where the... But... So the Steelers actually do something right. They pick like a real rock song. Um, so I, I'm re really... I, I just... I found it like super fascinating. I didn't know any of that about this because I'm not a Steelers fan. And, you know, in Baltimore, if you even think about the Steelers, like, I, I think that, um, you know, you just have some kind of aneurysm. It's just the rule. But <laughs> <laughs> the last little tidbit about this that I found unbelievably interesting is, remember when Chris Daughtry was on um, American Idol when we used to watch it? Mm -hmm. This is the song that he sang because they you know how they used to do like themes every week it was the, right. the topic was songs from the year you were born so i i found that really interesting i forgot about it until i i read you know the little article a little while ago um but boy he's going through some stuff with his you know daughter passing away i'm not really sure what happened they didn't they... yeah initially they thought she was killed and murdered but then the mother just came out recently and said that they're it's still unclear because like they don't really know and they thought that bit irresponsible for the media to assume that she was and murdered. be like sens sensationalize it they yeah. just don't have enough information so sorry for the downer but i just thought it was really interesting that chris daughtry picked this and it's, this is one of my favorite songs badass song. So without further ado, here is Renegade by Sticks. Audio Jungle. 
Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, Let's welcome DJ Neko's pick of the week. I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Lawman is putting into my running and I'm so far from my home. Oh mama, I can hear you are crying, you're so scared and all alone. Hangman is coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long.
So we already know that uh, soon The Witcher 2, season 2 of The Witcher 2, Witcher I should say, with uh, Henry Cavill's coming up on Netflix soon. I wish I got into it. I know you loved it. I I did. But, and it's funny because there's always this like pause with me with this kind of stuff, but this one I actually found intriguing when it comes to movie remakes. Okay. Uh, I love... The original Highlander a lot. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed Highlander 2 and 3 a little bit. After I didn't really care too much about the series. The series was okay. Um, but I think it's like anything else. Once you get attached to one particular character of that franchise, it's hard to like introduce a new character. This happened with the Born Identity when they did a movie with the guy who plays Hawkeye in the Marvel stuff. He did one of the Born movies as his own standalone wasn't as in engaging or as intriguing was it was for the uh, Matt Damon stuff. But Henry Cavill is set to star in a reboot of Highlander directed by Chad Stileski, who directed the John Wick movies, or at least the first one. Mm -hmm. um, so he's really good with action and stuff, so you kind of like look at it as like, okay, I can kind of see that. Will it work? Who knows, but... Um, this is one of the few remakes I think would be intriguing. Not that I think it's going to be better than the Lambert and Connery one, but... I don't think it's going to be better than the Lambert and no. Connery one. No, but uh, I don't really mind this too much, um, unless it just flat out sucks, which, you know, could happen. But uh, hopefully not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the one thing about uh, Stalisky is he was like, you know, he really likes the world of Highlander. He's always been a fan of the franchise, which is important. This is one of the things we talked about with uh, Luca, who did the Suspiria remake. He wasn't even a fan of the original with uh, Argento, so even doing, even though he did a pretty decent job with the remake, it was like, I'd rather have someone who's a big fan. So we think of Doherty, who did King of the Monsters. He's mm -hmm. a big fan of the franchise. So we got that feeling with King of the Monsters, how he brought all the monsters to life and shit. So at least with this, the director seems very interested in the type of plot and story that's involved. And he thinks there's a lot of possibilities for interesting characters, which is one of the things that we saw in the first movie a lot was when Lambert's kind of fighting these different guys, swordsmen over the years. Uh, they're all kind of different in their own way, just like Connery is kind of like the Spaniard who's traveled a world and got a sword made out of from Japan. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah. So it does allow you to expand on that. The original Highlander kind of concentrated more on the the Scottish guy of McLeod and you know his life and everything, which is good. That's what you want when you're opening up a franchise to this type of thing. 
Um, the reboot, I'm not sure how it's going to approach it, but maybe they might concentrate more each fight, like more fighting, more, uh, almost like Mortal Kombat in a way with it. Yes, I know she's checking out your cat, cat box that she cleaned and everything. Thank you for making a big old mess for me. But, uh, you know, Chad thinks that there's a lot of great mythology and it's very colorful of the world. He thinks so there's you, a lot of possibilities. You, you think that because he grew up as a fan and he's going to be able to maybe because you know King of the Monsters wasn't terrible I just hated the fact that they spoiled everything in the in the actual trailer right yeah yeah that's like a separate issue mm -hmm. but when I'm what I'm saying is I think sometimes a lot of when you have a fan of a certain series or whatever you kind of get like I don't want to say a better quality product, but that's a better quality product. You're going to see somebody who has, he wants to do something that and, and will like, get, do justice to. Right. You know, he, he did John Wick and I really like that film. I really like what he's done with that. So in that aspect of action and stuff is what you kind of want to have Highlander. Now, granted, this is also a reboot. It may not be an actual remake. So. If it's part of the series, that might actually be better because then you're not kind of like smearing the McLeod name, so mm -hmm. to speak. I mean, maybe he's not going to be like the official McLeod. Maybe he'll right. be like and almost like I don't. I, there's it's still early in development, so I'm kind of wondering if even Lambert be interested to make a cameo in this. That'd be kind of cool too. Obviously, Connery's gone from this, so he can't do anything with that. But um, it'll be interesting to see how they approach that. Um, it's like I said, I'm usually very hesitant with remakes or reboots, but this one might have some possibility. It may not even be like a remake. It may be more like a continuation. Yeah, that's one. That's what I'm kind of hoping for, I think. And because uh, really, you and I talked about this the other day uh, when Samurai and them were debating predator 2 like we've seen all the predator films and really after predator 2 it, it drops off a lot mm -hmm. like there isn't any really redeeming qualities even with the alien versus predator films they're like so so uh the same can be said with highlander after highlander everything else after it's really below the surface type stuff mm -hmm. like you just don't talk about it much because no one really cares um Hopefully, this has a good way of, like, kind of, like, continuing that, that, like, if there's going to be a reboot, then hopefully this is something that really does it well. Mm -hmm. And I kind of look at it as, like, Blade Runner, and then Blade Runner 2049, they're so many years apart, but they're both really good films. So, I'm hoping this is kind of the same thing. Even though we've had sequels, if you got Highlander, then let's just say, let's just say uh, Chad uh, Stalinsky says, well... We're going to skip the other two or three films in the Highlander series, and we're just going to go with the continuation of that, but without without McCloud, like some other way. Mm -hmm. um, so that'd be kind of cool. Um, you know, I don't know how he's going to do it, how he's going to work the plot, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. Um, I don't have the same feeling with this as I do with like them trying to remake The Crow. Like it's, it's totally different mm -hmm. uh, for various reasons. 
another remake uh, in the works, and this one, again, I'm not as happy about. Um, it's a remake remake, they're saying? Yeah. So, they're remaking Stan Winston's Pumpkinhead, and have you ever seen that movie? I can't remember. It's the... Yeah, well, anyway... Yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> trying to explain it wouldn't probably wouldn't work as well because I'm not very good at explaining stuff. But Lance Henriksen's in the original. He uh, has a young boy who is just kind of doing his own thing, mind his business. And there's some young punk kids, and they're out dirt biking and having a good time. And somehow they end up killing the kid when you know they jump on the bikes over dirt mounds and they hit the kid or whatever. Oh no. So it kills Lance's kid, and he's really upset about it. He get he then gets told that there's a, a being called the Pumpkinhead that you can raise uh, from the grave to go and get revenge, and that's what he's does, uh, not realizing that it's basically tied to his own soul. Uh, you have to kind of give something to get something, basically here. Uh, so he spends Lance spends most of the rest of the movie actually trying to save the kids because he realizes that he let his pain and anger take over his feelings of common sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he spends the rest of the movie trying to help them avoid being killed by Pumpkinhead. Uh, it did have at least one or two sequels. The sequel, the second sequel wasn't super bad, not as good as the first, but it was alright. I think there was a third one, maybe not. Um, but the original is really a classic and it, a lot of people really love it. Highlander's a classic too, but I just, again, like, I'm not, when it comes to horror, it's a lot more trickier for me with remakes, because most of the remakes we've seen with horror has been really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, I'm a little more skeptical about the Pumpkinhead remake as opposed to Highlander. Um, generally, with action movies, you can kind of get away with it pretty well. We, and, I, and the more I think about it, the more I'm right, because stuff like Gone in 60 Seconds to Departed, you can take films and actually improve upon them a little bit. And even if you still love the originals, at least the remakes or reboots are just as strong. We're not... With horror, it's always much harder. They, there's a very few that actually outdo the original. We kind of debated that on our ranking tiers with, like, Evil Dead or Black Christmas, stuff like that. Oh, so, yeah, the... um. Some of them that we we saw, we we could really accept the remake or or the sequel or whatever, but other ones were like, I don't know, I, like, okay, so for instance, they remade Psycho, mm-hmm. and it's pretty impossible to take something that was so groundbreaking and then try and remake it. And they were trying to remake it almost shot for shot. Like, I, when I watched, I watched the remake once. And I think we watched it together. And I was just kind of like, uh, what are they trying to do? Like, I, I, I don't get it. So, it, it felt like they were really just remaking it and remaking it shot for shot. But just with, like, more current actors. Right. And then, like... Like, like you were saying, mm-hmm. like if they bring like a little bit of something to it. Suspiria remake had a little bit different approach, which worked. Yeah, um, it technically wasn't a straight, on straight remake. It was more like a different take on the film. 
And same with, like, Red Dragon as opposed to Manhunter. Mm -hmm. They're similar, but they are different. I mean, they're the same story. Right. But... They're handled differently. They're handled differently, yeah. So, yeah, uh, two different types of reboots or remakes that are going to be coming to light soon. And, like, just different feeling overall between both of them. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's basically... I'm not... You know, if Pumpkinhead looks good as far as the remake, then I'll check it out, but... If I watch a trailer and I'm just like, oh no, can't do this, <laughs> then I won't do it. And again, it falls back a lot because I'm pretty sure the original uh, Pumpkinhead had a guy in a suit. And the special effects are much better. We talked about this with the thing versus the prequel thing. It's like, you can't cut corners with some of this stuff. People will catch on really fast. You might be able to dumb down some of the modern generation with this a lot of cgi but people who have been horror fans for a long time or have a high respect for old horror films don't get fooled as easy with cgi so um certainly if you're gonna ever do pumpkin at it do it right don't cut corners don't get tricky with it just do it the right way and spend time with it mm -hmm. um i know budgets aren't ever going to be that big for horror movies but you know gotta think it out <laughs> just have to right i mean the problem that we run into when people get too like reliant on cgi is it almost looks like you're superimposing a comic or a cartoon over top of real action now if you do we've seen cgi done great where it's a nice compliment aka king of the monsters and the new godzilla like it's so it's exactly like what I would expect these monsters to look like. Right. It, it's not like something weird. It's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, a, I mean, we were talking about that with Blade, where it's, um, it's a product of its time, you know, when they were starting to add in some of the effects. And they worked because it was... Oh, yeah, when you see Blade, when we watch it, the other day like the fighting choreography is all legit mm -hmm. but then when they added of course the supernatural aspect of it where the blood god comes with frost and everything else you see the really bad cgi but you kind of give it a pass because you're like okay well they've done right with everything else when we were talking about black panther you had great choreography with the females fighting and some of the stuff with uh, Bozeman and you know uh, uh, Jordan but then towards the end of the film it's like they relied heavily too heavily on CGI to get the fights and then of course we talked about the choreography like they it almost seemed like they lost interest in trying to make them unique as characters and just had them looking the same as fighters um, and Kung Fu Santa made such a good point that when you're a fighter, everything, you know, your style is unique to you, regardless of who, you know, same thing with being a dancer or whatever, your performance is very unique to yourself. So why wouldn't a panther have, like, you know, the panther punch or why would... I mean, I know some people, when they were watching our video with Samurai and all those on the panel, that they were complaining that we were being a little bit too nitpicky, but the reality is... If we're that, but see, the thing is, if, if small details like that were enough to take us out of the movie, it's a problem. Like, 
Yeah, you know, and people keep saying, well, this movie was monumental and it was a game changer. I'm like, okay, it is. So was Blade, people. though. But for, you know, black people, yeah, okay, Black Panther was up for awards and all this, but that's the it thing. It won lots of awards. You didn't pay attention to any details. You just threw black people in there and thought that was going to be enough, and that's not the case. Like, there is some strong acting in there. There's really good actors, uh, and we talked about that. Like, even, like, the young girl that plays the sister who's basically the modern cue. I love that. I loved her. Yeah, she's a great character, very smart, comes up with some great things, worked well with the film, um, was very likable in terms of her and her, her relationship with her brother, uh, Bozeman's character, Chikala. And that's all fine, but then, like, you know, if, if Rick, who has, Rick Myers is a Kung Fu Santa, he has extensive history with martial arts knowledge and people. He, and working in that industry. Right. So if he sits there and goes, look, you've, you're, you're making a point to make a movie about this culture, which is Wakanda, and all the, um, the people within it, and there's different tribes. This is one thing that Black Panther does is it, it says, okay, we're in this country, and even within our little bubble city that we've got, we have different tribes that represent different styles. And we talked about with the, that camera, the, the tribe that was the big rival at the beginning, but the one that helps them in the end. They are more like ape like. They're very. Um, That's their style, their fighting style. Right, but they're very uh, traditional fighters. Like, they don't like technology. They're very they brute. Right. Yeah. So they're very old school in that sense. And that's when they're fighting, when they're first, when their leader's first fighting Chikala for the throne. Rick made a good point that when, you know, it's fine to be a little bit like, you know, this and that, take some swings here and there, but then finally when you're showcasing what it is that makes your tribe different than the others, you kind of need to see that fighting style. And I brought that up with Forbidden Kingdom with the moment when Jackie Chan and Jet Li are, are fighting back and forth. It, it wasn't like a necessarily serious fight. They were just two very good masters. And, you know, Jet Li would pull out the Mantis and then Jackie would pull out the tiger and then they would alternate by doing these different uh, kung fu styles to mm -hmm. kind of impress each other. Well, that's kind of what you wanted to see in this film. Not, you know, you wanted to see each tribe have their own unique fighting style. And it's not enough to hurt the movie. I still rated the movie like 8 out of 10. So it's not like it's a bad movie. Um, see, I, you and I just maybe I tried watching it twice and it's two different movies for me. I get bored about an hour in, and I lose interest. I feel like the first half was much stronger than the second half, and I understand, and I feel bad because I really love Chadwick Boseman, and I know what they were doing with this movie. It was a big background movie. It was a big setup movie, uh -huh. and they, they were 100% all in on this franchise, and unfortunately, he passed away, and I know if, if Black Panther 2 would have happened, I would have loved it because they would have started it more like they started this. They had to start the movie, it, it, the, you know, this current Black Panther, they had to start the movie, but then they had to go around and around and kind of explain a lot of things because it was like the first, like, real in-depth look at Wakanda and Black Panther and everything even though he's made cameos in other movies. Right. I feel like his 
family and everything, it would have been some really cool sci-fi slash action hero slash James Bond blend. And, you know, like that whole part where she was like, you know, showing him the different suits. And yeah. like that whole thing, that was up until like about an hour in, I was over in the movie. And I hate that because there's so many, you saw me. Like, it, well, it, I think the reason why I give it a little more leeway is I understand what the second half is doing. It was basically taking Chakala and like, there's some sort of spirituality there. Like, he sort of loses his way because he gets beat by uh, Gordon's, uh, Jordan's character. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, he's conflicted because he understands that Jordan was there because his dad killed Jordan's father, mm -hmm. which made them cousins. So he's conflicted. He's like, man, do I even belong here because of what my dad did? There's this inner turmoil between Chakala's character. So at towards the end, when he's sort of revisiting the spirit world where his dad's there and some of the other old legends or whatever they're all panthers and shit so mm -hmm. which is really that was cool. kind of cool uh it's sort of like a reawakening for him that's why he ends up coming back mm -hmm. and fighting again uh so the length of the film doesn't really bother me as much as uh, the length didn't bother me it's it felt like two different movies that that was my point that's fine um yeah, maybe you're right, but uh, like I said, it's still scored like an 8 out of 10 for me. I mean, it's not my favorite Marvel movie, but it's better than some of the other ones I've seen. Yeah, there's some. I mean, it was not the very last one, but the first. But it always the goes The back. next to the last one, I hated. It was, it was a snap. Oh, uh, Infinity War? Yeah, I hated yeah. Infinity War. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say I hated it. I just was right. I disliked it. I don't think I've ever watched Infinity War ever again. I haven't watched it, but it's not because I disliked. I think it's it's a very dark movie compared to some of the other stuff. Um, obviously, uh, Endgame has its own dark moments, but Infinity War was designed to like leave people hanging and like depressed. I know <laughs> that was the whole basis of it all, really. Uh, that's the only reason why I really won't watch that one as much because you do already understand what happens and, and you're like Ugh. yeah so I think a lot of people after that was like come on let's get Endgame out let's get this yeah, over get Endgame we got, it, we got to maybe be happy again you know make it make it work yeah alright let's get oh, back sorry. to sorry I'm tangent woman I'm nah, sorry it's good Good. Good I'm listening. I'm listening to you talking, and then I start getting ideas in my brain. And then yeah, see, when you are gone for months on end, I'm going to be forced to like. He's going to have a two-hour show because I'm not going to be here. <laughs> I'm going to say my piece unless I'm ranting about some random shit, like the Broncos, right? And then uh, I'll just be moving on to music. But most people, some people like that, some don't. But for the most part, people have enjoyed our podcast, so we appreciate I that. I do appreciate We've it very much. We've seen an increase in downloads and stuff, so we're very... I'm really happy. I, I What I've noticed, um, you're way better on social media than I am, and I'm hoping that once we get this integrated website kind of, like, working, I know um, Chrissy's working on the website for us, and um, I told her, you know, we're, like, third priority. She's got business people work 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 and then 
us work then. Right. So like, she's she had a, a day off the other day and she was working on some things for us, but she wants to kind of help automate that like the stuff that goes on the website and it's going to be like Podbean goes to the website and the website goes to social media so that like one post kind of handles it all like we can integrate things yeah no that would save me so much time that's what i mean like if we like if you upload it to Podbean because that's where you're hosting the podcast you can still just say you know metaltavernradio.com and that's going to be our website you don't have to go to the Podbean website to listen to it. You'll be able to go to metaltavernradio.com yeah. and just get the podcast. And same with the radio. You won't have to worry about going to my old blog to pull up like a, a stream from Shoutbox or from like your player. Like you can do that at, at your leisure, but you'll have all those options on this website. So and then you'll even have a player on the website for that. So that's the other thing. Like if you just want to pop play when you're on the website to hear whatever's on the radio at that time then you'll be able to do that so there's a lot of different things that we're trying to do to integrate all our stuff to one site so that people aren't jumping around and and that way when we post something it'll upload to the website you'll you'll see the podcast it'll it'll go to our metal tavern radio facebook page it'll go to um dj anubis's instagram too we can probably i mean this is all these are not things that are unheard of this is what a lot of businesses do um so hopefully hopefully fingers crossed um i didn't complicate it too much for her because i was like this is totally like she's like yes it's it's gonna be uh based off of xyz and um you know it, it should be easy to customize and she already has like a good base for it that she's working on She's trying to, she's like cleaned up our, um, our logo a little bit. She's trying to just enhance things enhance. a little bit more. So, I don't so know. So we'll keep you updated when that's all ready to go. Anyhow, back into our music. Uh, we got some Netherworld from One-Eyed Toad in here, Nightland from Scarlet Records. And even though we played... A track from K.K.'s Priest a few episodes back with Ripper Owens on vocals. He's back again with his band called Renegade Angel. doing. Hey, Renegade! Yeah. (laughs) Here we go. See you in a few. We have- 
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaboration with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Alright, it is time for the Retro DVD Movie Vault! And this week, Noobs picked 1981's Possession, starring Sam Neill and Isabel Ajani. So you recently purchased this. Right. And um, I had never seen it at all. And you showed me, you showed me the trailer, and I'm like, I'm not going to like this. Yeah. I was like, already, I'm not. She already checked out. I'm not going to like this. And I, I just, first of all, the trailer was ridiculous. So, um. Keep in mind that the trailer, this is a movie that's late 70s, early 80s, so the trailers back then, and which is something Neko pointed out to me just the other night. They didn't spend a lot of time with getting into too much detail. So, like, even, like, like if you were watching the very first teaser trailer for Suspiria from Argento, it's very, it doesn't even show you anything in the movie. It's just a face with a skull, and then just goes, you know, Suspiria. Um, so, it doesn't even, it doesn't even elaborate at all what the movie's about. So, I think... The original trailer for Possession was kind of designed the same way. It was going to show you. It was just kind of like this mind fuck of a movie. It was movie. just all this, like, screaming. Right. And I'm like, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> However, I paid a lot of attention. You noticed I watched the movie, and I don't always do that. No, it, she didn't check out. I watched it, and there were times I'm like, you have to pause this because I don't understand what's going on, or because... First of all, they have 
very strong accent, so I made him turn on closed captioning because I was missing conversation. Like, that first, like, five minutes at the beginning when they were in bed, I didn't fully hear the conversation, and that's what made me say, turn on closed captioning because I have no idea what's going on. And anytime I'd be like, pause it, I would like look something up, like, am I missing something? And I tried not to, I, I didn't spoil it for myself either, but. Just read to where you needed it. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to like understand like what part of this movie is what. And I'm like confused, but then when I learned about the um, director uh, and the writer, he was kind of writing this as an allegory for like the end of a bad relationship and his his divorce and let me uh let me just before okay. i continue i'm gonna give us a uh, little synopsis yes of what the movie's about so basically set in west berlin the film opens as spy mark sam neal this is what describes his job mm -hmm. he's a spy uh returns home from his latest espionage mission to discover that his wife anna who's played by isabella johnny wants a divorce so basically basically at this point uh, Sam Neill's character is trying hard to reconcile with his wife, who he knows is having an affair. Um, but he's so in love with her, I guess, or basically obsessed with her would be the better term because of the way he acts throughout the movie. They have a young son. Um, so there's this tension between her her work and like she just ends up kind of like leaving the kid at times throughout the day sometimes i'm not babysitted and so like the son is home alone and then neil's character just comes back and he's got a baby he's like yeah he's like all dirty yeah and... so and then right now sam neil's character as a father he's really mark he's really um confused because he's trying to communicate with his wife who isn't really opening up to him about what's going on uh, they get in these like very loud and uh, screaming fight matches uh, because of what's going on. Uh, she really doesn't like him anymore. <laughs> he doesn't understand why. Uh, you can say that this is partly because he's been out on the road doing his, his espionage shit a yeah, lot. Yeah, but you, you like me when I come home after I've been gone. I mean, I think it when you have this type of relationship it's really hard to kind of yeah and and this this weird thing about the movie itself is it, it's titled possession but it can mean so many things with this film it could mean you know mark being possessive of anna or it could be anna being possessed by something or as we find out later in the film there's uh something <laughs> we'll just call it something for now that could be possessive of Anna so you know that could kind of point to how the directors looked at this as far as this going through divorce and you know it could be we, we her and I tried to break down how this movie what it really meant and it could be taken literally as the way that we're seeing it or we could take it figuratively as terms of just to a couple of people going through a very hard divorce and it just manifests itself into all this other crazy nonsense um but as the film gets to a close we have this other thing going on that makes it feel like it's all real so i think at this point for me i'm still just not clear if this is like a dream world state or if it's designed to be 
exactly the way we see it. Um, but uh, there's a point where Mark is coming across one of the guys that Anna's been having an affair with, but that guy hasn't seen his name's Heinrich. We hadn't, but she he hasn't seen Anna in like weeks, and he's looking for her uh, or trying to get in touch with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's just a lot of back and forth um, with all the obsessive trying to reconcile with Anna and Mark and, you know, taking care of the boy. Uh, it's really it's really a chaotic marriage to begin with because there's some slapping going on and just, you know, just <laughs> then they have sex and then they don't have sex. And it's just really crazy. Uh, one day, Mark chooses to follow Anna uh, whatever she just disappears and she goes to this like uh, it's not a hotel but like an apartment building it's like a slum yeah so he, he finds out where she's going but doesn't go in so he decides that he's going to hire uh, an investigator to, to track her down and see what's going on and the investigator does track her back down to this place and then attempts to talk to her in terms of but he's portraying himself as like a, a landlord so he's like I need to check your windows and all this and this and as he's going around from room to room he's trying to see if he can find any signs of like a lover or whatever he does see like a mattress on the floor um, yeah it's very it's a dilapidated building it's and then finally yeah. something catches his eye in the bathroom and it, it literally looks like a, a piece of blobbed flesh that has eyes looking at him and he's like shocked and of course she ends up smacking him on the back of the head and then we don't really see him again until a little bit later um so finally the cops are kind of or actually it's the lover of uh the investigator he's gay so the lover is trying to track down uh the investigator and he comes to Mark and he's like yeah you know I'm trying to find where this guy went uh he was less known to be talking to you about your wife and everything so i forget some of the other final details but eventually there's been a couple people murdered in the apartment that she's sitting in the slums like who was the other one that came there was it the lover yeah she no she she attacked him but he left and then somebody else came and and she killed him um and it's like it was almost like she was using her... Heinrich was the one that was there, and he left. Left, yeah. yeah. And it was like she was using these murders kind of almost like power for her creature. Yeah, if you've ever seen Hellraiser, it's a lot like that, where uh, the main character, Frank, he had in order to get his, his form back, his skin, he had to have Julia kill people in front so he can basically take their blood and flesh and whatever this is similar in that theme that these guys were basically allowing this creature that she was with there in the slum apartment to form into a human we don't know what the purpose is um at that point we don't know really know what that's all about um but we know that she's very drawn to stay there and be a part of that um thing so as it continues on we get towards the end um, I know I'm skipping a lot of the detail because this movie's not super long. It's like an hour and 40-something. There's minutes. all these little weird things because she... Um, I think it's used for like misdirection a little bit. Part of it, though, what I, I was seeing with her 
and I'm bringing this as a woman, you know, everybody kind of, there's, there's actually a book out there and I, I never read it and I, but there's like a, it's called like the 40 book or the 35 book. There's some book and a lot of women, when they hit like 35, 40, they kind of like lose their mind. We've seen it. My aunt. I mean, like they, and I think that's kind of like what's happening to her. And she, um, she's just, she's, doesn't feel like she's ever kind of felt anything, I guess. I, and then that's kind of like what I'm, I'm seeing. And that's why she leaves and she goes and she needs to murder people. She has this apparition that she has created and she kept saying she's, she was losing her faith and her, she's just trying to build something back up. She was a dance teacher, remember? And she's, she stopped teaching dance. Her, um, Sam Neill, when he was talking to the investigator, he was like, she, she hasn't worked in over a year. So what I really saw was this change in this woman. And apparently one time when Sam Neill was away, she had a miscarriage and it was very very violent that was with that whole flailing scene in the in the, in the, the subway. subway yeah and it was actually so violent that's kind of like what changed her and after that and after he come you know he came home and he was done he tells his employers he's done everything and i think you know towards the end that was his his employers who were you know after them too so it was almost like he was kind of going crazy because of her and he was just so desperate to have this normal life and she thought she had this normal life that she wanted but she didn't want and I think Heinrich was initially kind of like that first outlet like mm-hmm. she was, Heinrich was definitely bisexual and opened her up to being open up to her sexuality a bit um but yeah eventually it, there's a moment where after Heinrich escapes like whatever's going on there he freaked out because he saw exactly what she was seeing mm-hmm. and called Mark Sam Neill's character to try to like say something's going on we don't know we need to figure this out and get her out of there or whatever but Instead of doing that, Mark ends up killing Heinrich in the bathroom. But it trying probably, to make it look right like an accident. Right. Because uh, he doesn't, you know, he's still, at this point, he's still trying to protect his wife. He still loves his wife. So he's like, doesn't believe a lot of stuff that Heinrich is saying to him. He doesn't, you know, Heinrich's talking about monsters and all this other stuff. So, he, you know, Mark's like, dude, you're, you're nuts. Mm-hmm. So after he's done that, he finally ends up going to the salon apartment where uh, Anna is, and he comes. <laughs> this is this, this is a spoiler. This is like the the big moment of this whole fucking movie, really. And she's basically in this room with the mattress, uh, getting fucked by an octopus. That's almost what we can describe it as. It's a, it it looks like some kind of weird it's, and. It's a guy, it's like a guy who's almost formed, but he's got all these, like, tentacles and stuff, and he's literally 
banging her. Like it's not like a porn, but he's having sex with her, and you can and tell. And she keeps saying almost, right. almost. It was like she was trying to create her perfect man, man by murdering these people and fucking the octopus. Right. But then in the end, her perfect man, who is next to her, is her husband. Right. So eventually, it's so crazy. Uh, once this creature gets form, it looks exactly like a doppelganger of Sam Neill's character, Mark. And it's really strange, but, like, there's also, now we've got the police involved who are chasing Mark and Anna, and they end up shooting both of them in a stairway to their apartment, or at least a building. It might have been their apartment. I'm pretty sure it was. The doppelganger is now making his way back to the apartment of where they lived. And there's a babysitter in there watching over the young boy. Who looks just like Anna. Right. And it's the um, teacher. Teacher, teacher, yeah. And he, when the first time he met the teacher, he thought it was her. He's like, wait a minute, is this a wig? Yeah, he's like trying to tell you, like, you can't fool, fool, fool me. But the doppelganger is outside the doorway. And this is where the, the movie's coming kind of to a close. And, but the little boy knows. He somehow knows that this isn't his dad. Like, he just knows. And so, in probably one of the more disturbing scenes, he runs into the bathroom and drowns himself in the tub. And that kind of like, well, that's where the movie kind of leaves you because it's got the, the, the woman babysitting just kind she's of She's like, sitting. don't open the door. Don't right, open she's the still door. like sitting there. I forget what she's listening to, gunshots or sirens or it something. It sounds like... Uh, so, this takes place in West Berlin. And, you know, this is before the Berlin Wall fell. And if you if you don't know much about, like, East Germany versus West Germany, um, West Berlin was technically in East Germany because Berlin as a city was very large. But West Berlin... And it's in... East Germany, and East Germany was kind of like the um, more controlled side before the reunification, and then you have West Germany, which is, I mean, Germany for a while after World War II, and like all these different areas, same thing with Poland, it was just like, this is Poland, this is Germany, this is this, this is that, but because West Berlin, like all around it was kind of enclosed, and they were kind of, I don't want to say used to, like, a lot of stuff happening. So you hear kind of, like, almost like air raid sirens yeah. and, like, bombing sounds. And the teacher opens up the door and the little boy is just scared. Like, Yep, terrified. You know, don't let him in. Don't open the door. Don't open the door. Don't open the door. And then, and it was kind of crazy too, because there were re reoccurring scenes of. I mean, he's a little boy. He's playing in the tub, and but multiple times he's playing and he's doing kind of like the uh, the submarine wee, 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 uh -huh. and making all these noises and stuff. And that that just happens to be like what happens at the end. Yep. Uh, now, some interesting things about the film. Uh, when Possession had its world premiere at the 1981 Cannes Film Festival, it came with the possible accession of the European debut of Heaven's Gate, the most controversial, controversial of that year's entries. 
Uh, the film did earn Isabella Johnny along with her work in James Ivory's Quartet the prize for Best Actress. However, when it was released in Europe, it was not a box office success and would make the notorious list of so-called video nasties. Wow. That, ba- that were banned in the United Kingdom because of their supposedly harmful content. In America, its reception was even worse. It wouldn't be released for another two years, and when it was, it was dumped just before Halloween with a third of its running time removed in an attempt to make it resemble a straightforward horror item, inspired mostly terrible reviews from film critics who bothered to look at it. Uh, but obviously, as time has gone on, it's become just cult status with the film. Uh, I technically had only seen this for the very first time, maybe a couple of years ago when it was on YouTube. I had to hunt it down because it, it, it never gets streamed. Um, but in horror circle, circles with other people, horror fans, they talk about this film. So I was like, all right, I need to give this a watch. And so I did. And, you know, it, it's not a film that I'm going to watch like every other week or, you know, anything like that. But I do enjoy it because at the end of this uh, article by Roger Ebert, he does make a good point about it. And he says, from its hypnotic opening moments, aided in no small part by the contributions from cinematographer Bruno Newton, which now looked better than ever, albeit largely gray and grimy manner, it is absolutely terrifying final moments. Possession of a singular work of art that now seen in its intended form deserves consideration as one of the supreme horror films of its era. That said, for all its grisly goings-on, uh, this is a more of an exercise in emotional horror, and on that level, it's absolutely devastating. Possession is one of those films you will either love or hate, but you will never forget, no matter how much of some of you may wish that could. <laughs> um, the only thing I will say with this is, and that you've heard Neko and I talk about it before, with movies like Salo or Serbian Film, those are pieces of art in their own way, but however, they're not films that I really want to revisit. Uh, maybe down the road I may check them out once in a lifetime again just to... Maybe if you're, like, introducing it to someone who... That, or I've just, like, you know, forgotten so much about it. I'm like, oh, I only look at this for it again to see what, you know, I was seeing the first time. Mm-hmm. See if I see anything I'd missed. Possession has that sort of an era aura about it, but it's not as extreme as those. Like, it has its moments of what the fuck in there, but you're not going to be... I would say you're not really going to be disgusted by it. It's not, yeah, it's just, not gross. Right. It's just, it's horror, but and it's got some weird shit going on. But it, it's kind of on that level where it's art, but it's not something you're going to say, hey, let's uh, bring everybody over, my grandpa and grandma. We're going to watch Possession. You know, you're just not going to do that. This is more just for film, uh, people who love film and, and cinematography and stuff and just weird shit in general. If you're into Vanilla Sky, or just films that kind of fuck with your brain a little bit. This is the kind of film you want to watch. And I didn't hate it. Right. I thought I was going to hate it. Like, I'm like, this is some bullshit. Like, this is stupid. This is going to be... No. I didn't hate it. I was captivated by it, actually. Like, I was watching it and I'm like, I kept... I wanted to really get it because I kept saying to you, "What's going on? <laughs> What's going on?" Yeah, is this 
is she like making this thing is this real and then that's after the movie was over that's when i was kind of like reading about it and i was saying to myself okay this is again an al i realized it w it was an allegory for the divorce right so i was kind of like all in like all right this guy there's lots of okay so back in the day i'm talking back in the day in the like puritan before the 1776 independence when i i have that american literature book that i read sometimes and it's got really really old a lot of these stories in there are allegories like they're not really meant to be taken for real right i mean you read them and you're you're reading about people who are like deeply religious and the stuff that's happening is is not meant to be like taken literally it's meant yeah i think the more that you talk about that and bring that up i think the more that now i kind of changed my tune on how because i i kind of at the end i kind of thought it's all literal but I think you made a very good point about the the sex scene with the octopus. It's like her trying to create the perfect man in her life, and even though that man ends up being the same man as her the guy she's married to, only a doppelganger. But I think that is sort of like a, a nod to like she's just very unhappy and is trying everything she can. Like there, it also shows you that she's probably still in love with her husband because he wouldn't look the same if she wasn't so there's probably that well, part of it well you saw when um when she at the end when they're both getting shot she dies in his arms and they kiss right. and then he jumps and kills himself right so it's like what the fuck you, you right. know it, it was it was bananas so she's like, you know, he's finally finished. However, he's the same as you. And you don't know if uh, Mark sees the same thing that she sees. But I, I do. I see, the, I see the side, like, the symbolism. I see, especially after that first scene, and I might go back and rewatch that first scene with some subtitles so I can, uh, like, hear their... Uh, like see their commentary because at that one point he was saying something like he was disgusted by her and i'm like i don't know what that means like right um but her, when you take into consideration when she's talking to mark talking about this very very violent um miscarriage that she has getting off the subway and she it's like a five minute like flailing and so again that could be in her mind exaggerated like i never seen how any, she felt how she, she felt when it happened because yeah. miscarriages can be very painful so she also felt like she lost her she kept seeing her faith and her something else um faith and chance chance and yeah so she kept saying like she lost this and lost that and she lost the baby too and it kind of like hurt her so deeply and you know he's not home but then he wants to come home and just pretend everything's okay even though like you know for the last 10 years it has not been this like this picture perfect home so she's hitting whatever 
you know, portion of her life where she doesn't feel fulfilled. She hadn't been working. She hadn't been teaching dance. She lost a baby. Her body failed her. She feels like her marriage failed her. And Yeah, I think after the the miscarriage that she probably felt that's inadequate. That's what started it. Yeah, so then, like, that started her, like, he wasn't there to help her with it, mm -hmm. deal with it, and so that probably created a lot of the resentment. Yeah, so, uh, highly recommend if you guys can ever find a way to watch this film. I mean, obviously, no one's really going to just go out and buy it unless they're really that interested from what we're saying, which, you know, look, if you're a DVD collector, movie collector, yeah, it'd be nice to add. The one I got, literally, uh, came from, uh, website called umbrella and um i got it for like 30 35 or 40 dollars neck and i saw it on amazon and it was selling for like 190 so this is how hard this film is to get really uh but umbrella actually has their version of it it, it is uh, very friendly for american dvd players so uh you don't have to worry about region codes um it's a legit thing it, it you know it doesn't have it's not like a high-tech blu-ray edition or anything it doesn't have any like it... yeah but they had some they had some bonus features they had oh well, the interview. dvd itself does it has like interviews and stuff which is really cool that's why it's legit it's not like we have the movie sidekicks that was sort of like just someone found a way to i'm pretty sure someone transferred their vhs to which DVD. people still buy because that's the only person that's out there mm -hmm. so you know they need to get on the ball and get that remade into a blu-ray but uh, it is available. It did take a little time to get me. I think it was out of Australia. I'm not sure, but um, you, you know, if you're gonna get it for cheaper than what they're trying to sell on the web elsewhere, then that's the way to go. So, I I'm just gonna have to say again, I thought I was gonna hate it. I was prepared to hate it. Yeah, she's like, I'm gonna hate this shit. <laughs> I did not hate it. I did not hate it a lot like i was i started really just like because for me i had a feeling you wouldn't hate it just because you have a tendency to like mind fuck movies as long as it keeps your attention you don't have no you don't have a problem with these kind of in, in some ways it's almost like kubrick's clockwork orange in the sense that you see what's going on but there's some other underlying uh analogies of what's being told mm -hmm. to you so I knew in a lot of ways you could probably appreciate for that aspect. It was a matter of just getting around the whole, like, the squid and everything else that's going on in there to see how you reacted to it. But, yeah, you were fine with it. I, um, I was actually just so intrigued by it. I couldn't stop watching. And I, I wanted to understand. And plus, again. It also had a very, and I keep, I'm going to keep cutting you off, sorry. It's okay, honey. It has a very anti-Christ vibe. If you ever saw the movie William Defoe, those the way they two act in that marriage uh, is very similar. Uh, a lot of crazy shit going on mm -hmm. now. Antichrist is a little more crazy than this one is, uh, but this had the same similar kind of vibe with what's going on with like uh, I don't know. You wouldn't even call it body mutilation, but just very crazy shit with I, sex and everything else. I I feel like. What's happening, that creature is her own, like, uh, manifestation of her feelings. Right. That's the best way I can put it. I think that 
that is a manifestation of her feelings, her regret, her anger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, like you, you're really taking it like it was some kind of like sci-fi horror film and me, I was looking at it not so much from that point of view. I'm looking at it more like these people are, um, they're going through something and psychological yes i mean haven't you ever gone through something and you remember while while you're going through whatever horrible thing it almost feels like an outer body experience like you're you you are just constantly sick you know you just feel nauseated all the time and you're upset or angry and everything every little tiny thing that goes on almost feels insurmountable but then you know a year or so later you look back and you're like well it happened you know you when you look back at it you kind of don't really have that in the moment upset scary feeling right i feel like that's what her monster was it was that was how it was like physically showing whatever she was going through because the whole idea of a wife going through some kind of horrible midlife crisis after a miscarriage and you know dealing with a husband who travels all the time is not out of the ordinary at all right you know it, it happens but you're really physically seeing the monster that she's dealing with her emotions are this monster and that's kind of what i'm thinking in my head like that is what is happening to her you know emotionally is that monster but we you and i we as people are not in the sci-fi world or whatever that movie was um when we have something big happen that upsets us we don't have that giant, you know, octopus to fuck us, so to speak. We just have to, like, kind of deal with our emotions, and that was, like, a way of showing what the fuck was happening. Right. That, I mean, I mean, that probably sounds crazy, but that's kind of how I was viewing it from the beginning, because out, that part in the subway, I didn't realize was a flashback at first. That's when I made you pause it, and that's when I, I figured out what was going on. I thought that was you know, current time to the movie and she was kind of dealing with whatever is going on. I mean, you know, she finds a lover while her husband is away. Not uncommon. But right. The, so, yeah, it was, it was, I, I hope I'm not making it sound like crazy. It, it is a little bit crazy, but for me, good crazy. I just keep breaking it down in my head so I sound like a, a, a lunatic. I'm sorry, guys. Nah, it's good. Definitely, definitely read it. Or, excuse me, watch it. Yeah. All right, we got some Vindicator coming up. Mob Child from Provided by Vlad. Uh, Death Chant and Impending Doom. But here's some brand new stuff from Reaper.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now.
Closing out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos, episode 143 of the No Time Radio Podcast. Thank you very much, you all, for tuning in and support this channel. We appreciate you listening so much and listening to my rants and raves and all my nonsense. I, uh, I was very passionate on a couple of uh, topics today. All of them, starting with Jimmy Hoffa. Like, I was passionate on one topic today. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of like stepping back and letting you do you on the Denver Broncos thing because I am disappointed in the Broncos, yes. However, it is a multifaceted situation. It is not like... Oh, I acknowledge that there's a grand scheme of problems for that team, but... The sign of not even trying to tackle a player when you're within the game is just a sign that you're quitting on your team, and that's just I, I can't support that player. And if our dumbass coaches are going to keep that player in there because he feels like he's a leader when he's not, then I just can't see myself supporting the team at this point. It's not the rest of the team's fault, but it kind of. This, this year feels like a lot has kind of fallen apart with our team. You know, we lost Vaughn. You know, that's a big deal. He was a leader. Vaughn, and Vaughn believed in Teddy. And it's kind of interesting that Vaughn was not there. He's with the Rams now. And then we had that debacle. Now, granted, the, the Rams who have had Vaughn the last couple of weeks, he didn't play the first week with them. Last week he did. The Rams are 0-2 and they've gotten their ass kicked both games, so we kind of felt like the curse had been left with Vaughn. Like, even though Vaughn wasn't the problem, it's almost like the curse just went with them and the Rams now have to suffer for it. It's, it's, this has been an interesting football year and I feel like... It actually very is. There's a lot of parity. There's a lot of teams that were winning games that shouldn't be winning and vice versa. Um, it's very... It's a big head-scratcher. There's almost... There's almost like every team is almost... It's almost like Madden. Like, you can have your set up the rosters the way you want in the game and then, like, simulate through the season and sometimes the teams will all be balanced out because you've balanced out all the talent that's out there. You did it because you do it, like, based on the numbers and everything and um just because statistics are there it's not guaranteed to be like exact because there's a lot that goes into football there's a lot of emotion there's a lot of like um you know just think about audience think about some days you wake up and you're just not feeling it at all and you're moving into that was me on friday I don't know why. Maybe it was because I knew I had to be there late, but I was not feeling it at all. Not feeling anything I was doing. People are human, you know. You have a bad day, even though your stats are up. Maybe well, maybe strange. maybe you have a tummy ache. Maybe you didn't sleep well. Maybe your dog shit on the floor and you're mad about that and you come in and it just throws your whole game off. That's that's the truth of the matter. It doesn't it doesn't matter what your uh, your statistics are. It doesn't matter how hard you play. Sometimes shit just goes sideways. Well, and that's the thing about the Rams. They've 
traded a lot of draft picks away. They've signed a lot of big names, Jalen Ramsey, Matt Stafford, Von Miller, etc., in order to compete for a Super Bowl this year. So they have all these this money wrapped up in all these players. Same amount of what Denver did in the late 90s with Elway when they started getting Neil Smith and uh, Darren Gordon, stuff like that, to try to compete for championships. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, like, right now, the Rams are showing you that even with all that talent, if you don't have the chemistry and everything else, they, it doesn't always work. So we'll see how it plays out for them in the long run. But right now, they... You know, they've got this stacked team that isn't really doing... It's not really stacked and jacked. They've gotten beat by a couple... They got beat by the Niners, who have uh, under 500 record last week, before they lost to the Titans, who are a good team, but it was in L.A., so it's kind of like, oh, my God. You know, whatever. All right, well, we're going to get out of here. It's time to get some dinner going. Yeah, I'm going to make some delicious stuffed peppers. But we appreciate you guys checking us out. And sworn this podcast. So, one track left for you. It's brand new stuff from Unleashed called No Sign of Life. Sounds like the Denver Broncos. <laughs>